If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in Galatians. This incredible letter from Paul. I don't know, I, you know, as you go there, we're in Galatians chapter 4 today. We're working our way through as he's really talking to Gentile believers like us in a church, like us, and a, a lot of direct um, overlap. So it's, it's somewhat uh, pertaining to you and me without having to jump through a ton of hoops. And I wonder if Paul wasn't here in our society today that he would be perplexed. He'd be like puzzled at the church and who we are. I, I mean, I, and not for reasons that people also kind of quote like, oh, you know, the politics of America or uh, I don't know, the, the, the love of the church or your moral holiness or whatever. I, I think he would be perplexed, not, not by those things. He knows the world. He knows we're in it. He knows people are confused and wrong, including us. I think he might be perplexed at our gospel confusion. Our disconnect between what we readily sing. We just sang some amazing lyrics. Lord, I lay me down and I come to the cross and, and it's all Jesus and our actual living of our Christian life. Like what we do. I mean, those are the things, right? Confusion over many messages that you and I, we, we soak in, we, we hear bombarded every day at us. Christian messages. I maybe should put them in quotes, I don't know. And what that means is competing understanding of the truth, what the truth actually is. And so one of the functions of going through the Bible like we do, of taking a book and going all the way through it, is to say, hey, here's the message, and here's the message, and here's the message. Say, well, I know that message. Yeah, but you need, you need a confidence and assurance that that is the message. Because all over there are people who are talking about the message of the gospel in different ways. We're surrounded by these conflicting messages. And so what we've had, you and I have had, right, is this thing called a paradigm shift. Paradigm shift means something totally has changed. <laughs> I remember it would be like, be like back in the day, right, when there's a paradigm shift of, of, of the earth was flat versus the earth was round. And if you still believe the earth is flat, I'm not here to argue about that today. But I'll tell you what, it changed everything. All of a sudden you knew why the tides happened. You understood why the sun was coming coming down. It wasn't some guy pulling the sun across the, the sky. It was actually the rotation of the earth. And, and, and there's, whoa, wait a minute, life is different. There's, there's actually explanations and understanding of how things should go. And so often, we're, we only, you and I, we talk in the very blandest of ways about the incredible new paradigm that we have. Oh, you're like, yeah, Jesus has saved me, so I'm going to heaven. That's amazing, don't get me wrong, but that doesn't functionally like change me when I say that. I mean, that's really neat. Yes, Jesus saved me, so I live a life of gratitude. Well, duh, he did everything for you. Of course I live a life of gratitude. I mean, I, I hope you do. I do. I mean, everything I have, I was given. It's like, that's so amazing. But how, how, how does that actually work itself out, right? Or is it even? It's just something I think, oh, yeah, that's cool. I, I... We've been given the most incredible present ever, and, and there's... There's impact on how we connect our lives to it. I suppose that's 
what we're talking about and, 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 and these sort of ideas. It's like, it's like, it's like, say you and your spouse come in for marital counseling. We had an amazing, by the way, little marriage workshop yesterday. It's really fun. We're going to do it again. You're invited. Um, but, but, but say you're, you're married, you've been married for 15 years, you have no intimacy in your marriage, and you come in and you want to say, hey, what I really want counseling for is we need to figure out who's going to take out the trash. Well, okay, that's cool. But there's this massive issue in your, in your, in your life, and, and do you realize how that might impact everything else that you're doing? That's the gospel. Right, the big stuff. And so there's big stuff today involving the gospel and our freedom and the paradigm shift that's happened to us. And Paul, as usual, is right in the middle of it. So he's got two things today in this gospel freedom idea. One, he's got an example, and then he's got a trap. And I, I want you to see this. We a lot of times skip over this paragraph because it's not something that grabs us, but it's actually really remarkable to think about. So that's what we're doing. Let's do that today. First, an example. This is chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Uh, We finished verse 11 last week. Here it is. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. It starts off with like, uh, boy, I'm going to have to have some context for this one. But, but, But as we go in, See this. Very first time in all of Galatians where Paul gives something called an imperative. A command. Everything else he's been describing, he's been talking about, he's been urging them, or whatever. But now he entreats them with an imperative. He says, do this. That, that's nice. Well, what's the do? The do is become like me. And, and that, Paul says, is because he's become like you. He says to the Galatians, right? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of putting us in the Galatians box for a minute uh, but, to think through that with us. This is, this is Paul. So, so this is the, so the paradigm shift is the new glasses that understands what it is he's pleading with you to do. What do you think he's saying? Could be a bunch of things, right? I mean, Paul, Paul, here, become like me, says Paul. Well, well, okay, get better at knowing the Bible because, you know, Paul is a Bible scholar. He was like a Pharisee guy. He studied it from his youth. Not that he wrote the Bible. I don't think he's saying that. But, but, but could he be saying that? Man, get to be a Bible scholar. He could be saying, be a missionary. You know, Paul, he was like the first missionary journey, the second missionary. You come be a missionary because that's what you need to do, become like me. Said, love like me. You know, how Paul's saying, oh, you know, become like me. I, I, I'm a, I, I'm, I love. I'm pouring my life out here. Paul could be saying, okay, get more committed. Become like me. I am sold out entirely to Jesus. I am focused. Those would all be very reasonable things. Those would all be things I get. I understand how Paul would say that. I I say, yeah, he could be talking about those logical things. It's reasonable, logical, and you know what I'm going to say, right? Totally wrong. He's not saying that. How do I know? What, what, What is he saying? Because he says, become like me as I am, for I have become as you are. 
Like that's his rationale. I become like you. So, 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 uh, like you, you know, and I'm not Paul. I, I'm not a missionary. I don't love very well. I don't do the, the, these things are like, wait a minute. What is he talking about? He means he has become radically dependent on the promise of Jesus for him, not following the law like this group of people that he came and told about Jesus. He came and told them. He came and told them about the wonder of the cross for them and how Jesus died for them and how they have the greatest gift you could ever have that God adores them in Christ. And, 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 and they weren't following any of the sort of code to keep God happy with them and said, I've become like you. I, I, I don't feel the need to do any of that either. That's what he's saying, right? Not following the law. He means a radical transformation of the mind This that, that's around this. Christ died for all, and so all died. That's scary. It is jump off the cliff stuff. I've become like you. I'm not holding on to the most important document ever given to mankind, the Mosaic law, the instructions on how to stay right with God. And then so when he says, become like me, he means drop the hypocrisy of Peter. Remember Peter, who's like, yeah, I'm, I, I, he's the first of the disciples, but there he was, and Paul's having to stand up to his face and say, what are you doing not eating food with the Gentile Christians? He says, become like me. Be free. Be free from having to keep days and months and years. We looked at that last week. Be free from having to keep dietary commands or, or even from the Ten Commandments as guide your life. <laughs> free from the model that sees discipleship as self-improvement in law-keeping. Free to receive the grace and the gift of Jesus. Free from judging by how people do or, or, or how successful they are. It's like how much God's blessed them. Free with, see, with lenses of grace and promise and gospel and Jesus. It's really radical stuff because logically and reasonably, we do judge everything by how excellent and reasonable and strong it is. So, so, so you've got to see his argument. You've got to look actually at what the Bible says, hear him and hold your hand with me and jump off the cliff. Here's what he says. You did me no wrong. He's not mad at them. He's not holding grudges. He loves them. He's trying to help them. He says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Don't miss this. <laughs> oh, we're... We're prone to skip. Oh, yeah, they really liked Paul when he came. No, what, what he's saying is, look at this incredible work, Paul says. I came into town. I was talking to unbelieving Jews and Gentiles. And this was the great marketing that I did. Right? I was broken down and sick. Uh, that's what he's saying, Right? I wasn't healthy. I wasn't strong. It sounds like something was wrong with his eyes. I mean, he's weeping. Maybe there's pus coming from his eyes. I mean, he's got pink eye, some badness. And he comes up and there is, you're staring at like the stuff streaming from his eyes. He says, I've got a message from you from God. Never heard of this guy. 
He stands up to speak, and ew. I mean, if God was with you, he'd heal your eyes. Right? This is your presentation. You're obviously not doing well in proclaiming a message to believe you and follow you. Go get better, and then we'll follow you. Go show the proof, and then we'll come. That's the thing, right? This is the argument Paul's making in the Bible about remember, you guys, how you came to know Jesus. I came and I was like sick and weak. Remember what happens? The Holy Spirit was at work. Because that's what it took. They received him as an angel of God, this miraculous reception. This isn't just like, oh, and you guys, because I argued pretty well, and I showed you the very truth, you reasonably understood and accepted Jesus. No, he's like, you received me as an angel of God. Those aren't like rational, normal. That's just like, no, you have to see the, the, the radical miracle of Jesus at work through the Spirit. They received the truth, and even though when it looked weak and it was nothing, it was the work of God. I mean, look, look, look what he says. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That's why people think he had an eye problem. You guys would have plucked out your own eyes to me to have them, and I just told you this message. I didn't come to you in strength. I came to you in weakness, and then the Holy Spirit opened your heart and gave you like this amazing, wondrous response to the truth, and it is the truth, that Jesus Christ died for you. Here we are together, you and I, and we, we have that truth, and we're amazed and shocked. But, 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 but then... I want to rationalize it all. I mean, these guys, they received the spirit. It wasn't about having the strong, logical argument, the healthy body, the best marketing. It was about the message. The good news that you, lost sinner, found by God, Jesus Christ has come, and in Him you are His. You are freed. It's finished. That's the blessing. It's not about new cars or success at work or excellence in worship or promise of strength. No strength for me, says Paul. I just spoke as this like kind of sick-looking guy. Remember, the gospel's true. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So see, I just told you the truth. I didn't have an agenda beyond that. It is finished. You are free, full stop. I didn't look like much, but Paul says, but I'm the vessel God used to give you the best news ever. The most incredible paradigm shift you can ever have. That was the ground that the Holy Spirit opened up to you. Right? The most incredible paradigm shift. Become like me, says Paul. What does he mean? He means not caring about the externals, living in the message. He's not now pleasing God with the law. He's saying the opposite. Trust in the promise like I do. Become like me. I trust in the promise. I trust completely in what Jesus has done. And I look at you and I think, maybe Jesus has done something with you too. Become like me. I'm not pleasing God with the law. Anything else, anything else is a trap. And there are traps. That's where he goes. Watch out for the trap. 
Yeah, that's you becoming Superman. That's you becoming Jesus. What? Yeah, look what his argument is. He says in verse 17, They, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you make much of them. Okay, again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you see this passage because it's actually a very important passage, but we tend to say like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what it means. Let's just keep going because there's got to be a fun, pithy verse somewhere that we really like. Chapter 5, verse 1, is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Yes, yeah. No, this is actually really important. They make much of you means they emphasize these bad teachers that are coming in. Watch out. They emphasize, right, that it's all about you and your choices. Right? They make much of you. It's really important. You're really important. But it's not for any good purpose. That's what Paul says. They want you, they want to shut you out. So you come in and you say, you know what? It's really about you growing in your personal obedience and your personal holiness. How are you doing? It's really important. When you put that lever there, when you put that, that, that ladder there, when you put those lists of things there and you start pulling, what you're doing is you're not encouraging people. You are shutting them out, says Paul. Really? You think about it. Think about me coming in and saying, well, you're doing really good. That's the encouragement part. You're doing fabulous. But, but, but you know what? There's a few more things you, sh- you need to be doing. That creates in me this idea of what? I'm not enough. I haven't done enough. There are things I better do. And who is controlling it? The person teaching you. Jesus is awesome. He did fabulous things for you. But now there's a few more ways in which you keep God happy with you. And I know them. And, and what are they doing? They're shutting you out. You're not there yet. But with the proper application and the proper things that you do, maybe we can get you there. How am I going to learn that? Well, from me, of course. That's what Paul's saying in this verse. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. They've attained. They've achieved. They're on a higher platform. They're going to pull you up. Sure, you should exalt them because they've got the answers and you're down little plebe and and we'll get you up. You're shut out. This is what he's saying, right? This is the trap that having begun by faith, people come in and pull you away and it sounds reasonable. It takes that form. You started well, you're doing great, but you haven't gotten there yet. We have some additional keys for you. Let me come in and give you more truth and get you to move ahead. And and Paul says, hey, hey, that first part's great. It's not wrong for people to come and encourage you. Oh, you realize that Jesus Christ died for you, your precious treasure of God, encouraging you that, that, that you're saved in Christ and that he's got you. That's all really good. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. If I'm encouraging you because of what Christ has done in you, and wow, you need that, and that assurance and that confidence, and that's a good thing, he says. Not only when I'm present with you. It's not just when I'm here. The reason to be made much of is that you you have much. You are children of God. Not you might be if, or with our extra five steps you can get there, but you, you have been gifted by Christ by promise. You have 
But Dax, what about my relationships? What about how my life is going? What about, yeah, the what aboutness is the thing you have to have confidence through. Here's the statement from his heart, agonizing over them. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's, he's, he's anxious. He's not like doubting their salvation. He just is so wanting them not to have to go through these troubled messengers coming in with false things, pulling them away. He is anxious about Christ being formed in them. And the reason for his anxiety is people are coming in with this teaching, these models that aren't right, and it's Jesus plus my plan. We are teachers. We will teach you in (laughs) self-righteousness. I love you, church. Don't believe I get to stand up and tell you about Jesus. But I'll tell you, nobody out there, and you'll hear tons of messages, they're too smart. They know. They know they can't say self-righteousness. So you insert other terms. What terms? Ways to say, right, that law-keeping to keep God pleased and to help you more useful. The, the, the buzzwords today in our culture are discipleship and spiritual formation. When you hear the word discipleship, when you hear the word spiritual formation, oh, I pray that your flags will go up. Not because they're necessarily wrong, they might be fine, but because the danger there is massive and there's so much wrong with what people are trying to get you to do. I get 20 emails a week from different people wanting me to buy into discipleship programs, spend money on my materials to get ahead and advance. It is what Paul is talking about. Right? So there's good uses of those words. When you hear these calls to spiritual formation, your flags, right? Because often there are people saying, oh good, you've become a Christian. That's fabulous. But you have some additional steps that I can give you by my book or listen to my ministry or whatever. And here's the problem. It's along the lines of this passage. Discipleship often assumes you're in a position of weakness and we will make you stronger. Well, what's that look like? We've been through all these books of the Bible. That's climbing the ladder, man. That's saying, I'm bad now, but with the proper application of the means of grace or whatever, I'm going to be a stronger person over here. I'm going to progress to greater strength. And they don't mean dependence on Christ and the gospel. They mean personal goodness. Watch out. This is a big deal. I don't say it lightly. This is what Paul is speaking against. That somehow you'll see progress and improvement in holiness, morality, goodness, defined as your will-engaged actions trained over time. And to me, in this passage, that is what he's speaking against. There's a couple problems you should see and know, right? Here's the first one. It's the one from the passage. His example is, hey, I came to you in weakness, not in strength. That's the whole thing, right? Come be like me, free, centered on this message, not in a strong package. He doesn't appeal to his zealousness or his good works or his strengthened body or his moral presence. He appeals to the message. 
Look, when I came to you and my eyes were leaking fluids and I couldn't see and I looked like a weak nothing and the Holy Spirit took the message and opened your eyes. Do you remember that? That's where the power is. There is a Holy Spirit and he proclaims Abba, Father in our hearts. That's where we stand. Full stop. I mean, one of the other problems, the big one you should see right away, is the idea of discipleship in the New Testament. Say, but discipleship, that's a Bible word. I know that word. It's uh, Matthew 28. says, go and make disciples. Yeah, and I want to be like Jesus, and I, I, I want to see that. Well, okay, take the disciples of Jesus for a minute. There's whole books written about this, the discipling of the twelve. You take not everybody, just a few people, and you pour into them. So there's Jesus pouring into the twelve guys. How did that go? The Son of God. By the way, his discipleship method was the very best. How do I know that? He's God. I cannot criticize, and you would never, ever criticize the perfect Son of God. He did it exactly right. Everything he did was perfect because he is perfect. He is my Savior. He was born under the law, but he died for me perfectly. He loved me perfectly. He's amazing. And he had his discipleship program where he took these... 12 people, and he took them over time, and from the beginning to the end, they did not understand him. You get that, right? I mean, they had little flashes. Peter's like, oh, you're the son of God. Fabulous. And then the next, very next sentence is, get behind me, Satan, to his disciple. There's no record of Jesus having scripture memorization times while he was on earth. In fact, there are some prayer times they couldn't stay awake. Remember, they go to pray, and they, 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 they fall asleep. And she's like, what are you doing? Falling asleep. And then that's great, but then they fall asleep again. It's like they took his rebuke, and they grew. And now they, no. Jesus dies, where are they? They're hiding in the upper room, afraid. If that's discipleship, Jesus doesn't look like a success. You say, well, but you know... A lot of those guys later gave their life for Jesus. Yeah, you want to rest on the apocryphal accounts of the, how Peter ended versus the Bible account of how Jesus did his discipleship where Peter didn't grow in the huge, massive ability of personal holiness and obedience. In fact, he's running away from Jesus at the end. Jesus goes and gets him. That's cool. That's another sermon. We take this idea of discipleship and we've allowed people to run sideways with it, away from the Bible and the accounts of what it is. And in Matthew, where the, the disciples are given this thing to go and make disciples, it's about telling people about the wonder of Jesus Christ for them. Go get them baptized. Go tell them to obey Jesus. What's that? This is the work of God. Believe in he whom he has sent. Well, I think what you need to do is these 12 steps to be a more holy and obedient person and make sure God really is using you. Yeah, that's my I don't agree voice. Because that's not what he says. 
But, but, we, but we pull it in and we, we, we start to process. And instead, there is discipleship and, and there is Christ formed in you. You say, but, but, but there's the message, right? Because people don't understand that. So they start going, well, Christ in me. So I'm going to become like Jesus. I'm going to love more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to have better works. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to become Jesus. And, 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 and no, Jesus is not primarily your example, right? He's your Savior. And not only that, but to have Christ formed in you is the Holy Spirit testifying to you that you are united to Christ. Not that you become him. Receiving that this is all about God's love for you. Right? The scriptural account is Jesus' faithfulness to his disciples. Have you received that Jesus Christ really adored you? He adored you to the point of death. Death on a cross. This is love, not that we loved him, but he loved us, right? That's to go over, right? This is First John. And this is love. Not that we loved God, we haven't, but, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word to mean soaks it up. Oh, forgiveness, full and free, and that's the love of God for me, and I receive it, and this is Christ in me. The hope of glory is that he, he is for me, and I'm his kid by what he has done. I'm throwing things now. Oh, I'm getting too excited. So you have like, for example, in John 4, 16, we have come to know and believe what? The love that God has for us. I want to condition it. I believe the love God has for me as long as I'm slowly cleaning up my life, as long as I've gotten out of the bad situation that I got myself into, as long as I become a morally adept Ten Commandment following person. Those are all maybe good things you should do is, is work on those things because you're in the world and life goes better if you're not in debt or if, or if you're not in some bad situations. I get it. But, but, but that's so divorced from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? The concern is you're listening to garbage. I, I got to say it like that because Paul does. Discipleship, and people are saying these things with it that mean something terrible. Accountability. Accountability for what? To make sure that you know the grace and the goodness of the gospel for you? Got it. To help you become something better so God's happier with you? Are you crazy? But nine times out of ten, it's the latter. We need to hear about forgiveness. We need to hear confession and absolution from Christ to us through, through our lips to tell you the truth of the gospel, realizing you are holy and, and blameless because of Jesus alone. By the way, that's Romans 12, right? So we'll be transformed by the, by, by the renewing of your mind. Yeah, so that you know that you're holy and blameless and alive because of Jesus. If I was at a rally, I'd say amen. But what I say right now is, oh, it's such a gift what you and I have. It's a positive thing. And, and so the trap that Paul is trying to get you away from is people coming in, wanting to make much of themselves, shutting you out to try and pull you to where they think you ought to be. And that gives them standing. Their identity is off. 
Because if there is a focus on you attaining some increased level, some stronger moral and functional ability, my pastoral heart for you is run. Oh, leave your jacket and run. And that's what so much of it is. And here's the 10 means by which you can grow stronger. Here's the pathway to increased function. Here's the increased impact you can have for God. Here's the increased riches. Here's the improved health. Here's the increased ability. Whatever, all of it. And what, and what becomes of it is, is that the world is in the church. And it's okay. I'm of the world too. And I know I don't want to say it wrong. I'm, I'm in the world, but not of the world. And that, that's true. But I bring my flesh in and I, I struggle and we all struggle. But, but then we come back here to the actual message of the gospel. This paradigm of Jesus Christ for me. And it's true. And Paul comes in and says, I'm in agony because what I long for you is to have the confidence, the assurance that Jesus Christ has you and is for you. Right? That's that's we were reading Hebrews this time. Here's Hebrews 3 14. For we would come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original obedience and to, oh whoops, I missed a word. <laughs> Wrong word. Our confidence until the end. Firm. Confidence means assurance. It means our hope, but a hope in a settled sense, our actual, hey, this is where I stand. I stand on Jesus Christ and I'm crucified. That's it. He's done it all. It is finished. I'm his kid. He adores me. All of my shame and guilt can be dropped. Why? Because he has paid for it all and I can stand on him. That's what we read in Hebrews. It's not about you becoming Christ. It's about you trusting that Christ is in you and for you. Jesus doesn't help the angels. He's for you and me. That's what we read, right? Here it is. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Who are the offspring of Abraham? Oh, we've had it in Galatians. It's you and me. You guys, Bible says it. Who's helping you? Jesus Christ is. I don't feel it, Dax. Don't trust your feelings. Trust the Bible. I know you're in circumstances that are hard. I know things don't seem to be going fabulously. I know. But the Bible says, and it's true, and you need us, you need people around you because there's strange people that will say that's not true. Yeah, and they've done that to me. I was trying to have kids, and I couldn't for 10 years. People would come up and say, you know, God would bless you if you just stop sinning. Well, it's not me, it's my wife. <laughs> no, that's not the answer. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> but we racked our brains. We racked our lives. We did all these things. And at the end of all that, no kids. Until God, in His great, incredible mercy, He gave me two amazing children. And it wasn't because somehow I finally got to a level of sin-free living. It's because God loves me. And even if He wouldn't have done it, He still loves me all the way through. And he's got me. And this is our message. And, and so today, when Paul speaks this way, and he's worried about this trap, he's speaking strongly, so you see it. Here's how he ends this paragraph. Well, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. And when he says it, that's kind of the tone I've tried to have this message. You say, Dax, you're so strong, and, and why, why do you have to attack other people, and why can't we just do a kumbaya 
group about everything. And the reality is it's because the messages are wrong. And I'm perplexed, says Paul. Don't even listen to these people that want to make these amazing concepts about how you can grow in dependence on the wonder of Christ for you, how you can grow in in depending on Jesus always is for you, about dropping your shame and guilt and and, and, and blessing people because you've been blessed so much and, and, and you can get pulled away into, oh, if I please him with my choices. If, 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 and it's about me. No. It's all reasonable. Perplexed means worried. He's not worried that you'd lose salvation that's been proclaimed, but you'd go off into the weeds. You wouldn't live in freedom. You'd go back to slavery because it's not being pitched as slavery. It's being pitched as reasonable service. You should be worthy of Christ. You are worthy, right? (laughs) Why are you worthy? Because Jesus Christ adores you. That is the freeing thing. He adores you when you're a mess and when you aren't. When you have much or when you have little. Whether you're male or female. Whether you're child or aged. Whether you have a long track record or a short skid. We've found freedom. It's the gift of forgiveness that has been spoken in the Word of God to our hearts and the Holy Spirit that has enlivened us to say, I receive it and I love it and it's amazing. God of the universe, He's our Dad in Christ forever. So get involved with that. Get into small groups to talk about the scriptures in light of the gospel. People who speak forgiveness to you. Give someone a gift today. You know, you know, not so you show that you're such a great giver, but because, oh, it's fun. That's the culture you're in. You've been gifted. Enter into loving as, as much or as little as your heart can, but, but not as a climbing a ladder deal. You're loved more than you'll ever know, and that's That's the ticket. The work of our lives is to trust in this Christ and is everyone else's work true too. So help, help each other. Break people free of this self-righteous discipleship model that's gripped our flesh and come back to the cross. Don't fall in the trap. Become like Paul because he's become like us. Free and trusting in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all you've done for us. We can't really even understand the depth and the width of the love that you have for us, dear Jesus. Lord, that we might taste just a little bit of it. Lord, you might help us to stand on it, to trust it, to have assurance and confidence in what you've done and not in ourselves. Lord, I pray for our body, the people gathered here, that you would help us to be discerning, to be rejecting these messages that come in and try and pull us away from you and your work for us, Lord. May we stand on your truth, proclaiming your word. In the name of Jesus.